Juneteenth, a two-year horse ride, Pablo Escobar, financial crime, and more. All on this episode of Awesome Today. Awesome Today is a mostly daily show about stuff. Don't overcomplicate it. It's barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy it and have an awesome today. All right. It is all right. Hey, now. Maybe even it's a little bit better than all right. It is. Hello, and happy June 19th. Hello, everyone else as well. Hello, Meg. (laughs) Hi. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Are you attached romantically to anyone? I have been with the same person since I was 18 years old. Okay. (laughs) So you're telling me there's a chance? There's a small chance. Okay. Good. Yeah. Woo. All right. Okay. Hmm. What it tells to you today is June 19th, 2020. June 19th, 2020. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but first I would like to say happy birthday to our beloved Sword Awesome alumna, Laura Tremaine, celebrating her birthday today. Laura, the reason I talk about and have talked about since the beginning of Gemini season is because one of the very first things that Laura and I bonded over when we became friends and realized our birthdays were three days apart was being Geminis. And it's been a one of many cords of connection for us through many years of friendship, long, way more than 20 years, maybe coming up on 30 years. I think about that. Anyway, we've been friends for a long time and happy birthday, Laura Tremaine. Happy birthday, Laura. It'd be a better birthday if you were on Meg's podcast more often. <laughs> She's busy. She's writing books and too busy to be your thing. friend. Okay, now no one. I no said, it, you said that. You I said, said that. It, you I did didn't. not. <laughs> but I'm pretty perceptive. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off. Please do. Please do. Okay, so it's June 19th. It is also in addition to Laura Tremaine's birthday. It is Juneteenth. So I was doing a little digging, a little side googing before we sat down to record. I've known that Juneteenth was a thing for many years since I was a a child, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to brush up on my facts about it. So Juneteenth is a portmanteau, one of those combo words of June and 19th. How how would you spell? Portmanteau? Yes. I cannot spell it off the top of my head. P-O-R-T-M-A-N-T-E-A-U. Oh, this is when you put two words together, like Brangelina is a portmanteau. Okay. You know what I mean? I know what you're talking about. Okay. I've never heard this term before, and I'm what? internally having a glee party. Okay, good. It's a fascinating word, and it feels French slash Cajun. It's French, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Is there a recipe called portmanteau that we could make? I don't know. I'll make one. I'll okay. make it up. It's you probably going to be. You actually do a lot of portmanteau style cookies. This is true. <laughs> it's boiled hot dogs. Boiled hot dogs and some. And chili and mayonnaise. And some cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yep. Some people do like sauerkraut on their hot dogs. Mm-hmm. And well, that's good, but I said cabbage, not sauerkraut. Okay. There's a difference. Well. Get your German facts right. Sauerkraut is. A form of cabbage. A preparation of cabbage. It's a preparation. That's yeah. like saying that pickles are a form of cucumbers. They are. They're literally cucumbers. Nah, well, they are cucumbers, but they're not a form of cucumber. They're a pickled cucumber. Okay. Kraut is a soured cabbage. It is. A fermented cabbage. Fermented. 
I don't feel like we can ever live in Germany now. You'll embarrass us. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. Somebody will have to smack you around, and you might even have to go to the Krankenhausen, which That's is the hospital. hospital. We don't like three German words. You're a bad German. I have nothing to do with this. I know the dirty this. words, and I know a lot of them. Okay. I'd be a great German at the pub. We need to go to Germany And I someday. can say Prost. You can. Okay, let's get back on track. So, Portmanteau, June and 19th. So... The reason this holiday or this day is specific, it's a, it's a state holiday in Texas. Mm -hmm. It is in the national conversation. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not it should be a national holiday. But here's the significance of June 19th. We go back to 1865. Mm -hmm. June 19th, 18, 1865, Union soldiers finally arrive in Galveston, Texas. Just down on the Gulf. Way down on the Gulf. It's a long ways down. Long ways down. Down Especially on horseback. It's outside of Houston, right? Yeah. Okay. There's you can go further down the Gulf. You can. That's but where we honey. If we're yeah, talking about Padre. coming from even Oklahoma, much less the, oh yeah, it's the a long way. Yankee states down. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could be riding, quite honestly, for two years. Right. So on June nineteenth, eighteen sixty-five, Union soldiers arrive in Galveston and read a proclamation of the emancipation. No, <laughs> like that didn't happen. I got excited. The emancipation proclamation that had been issued by President Abraham Lincoln. Do you know when? Two years before. Yeah. Which is why I referenced well, the two-year horse ride. Well, there we go. Exactly. It literally took that long. So uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was made originally by Pre President Lincoln in September of 1862. It was ratified and put into law January 1st, I think, of 1863. Okay. So this puts us two and a half years later. Yeah, it's a long ride. It's a long ride. The Civil War is coming to an end. The Civil War ostensibly ended. I mean, it's over. Yeah. There's still groups that don't know, obviously. Yes, that exactly. Are still like, yeah, holding. I just held fists up. That's not actually how yeah. the Civil War was fought. It wasn't a fisticuffs. It was a it, lot less lot men would have died. Would have died. Yes. If it had been fisticuffs instead of guns and bayonets. Mm -hmm. Muskets. Muskets. Muskets? Okay. Um, okay. But some, some cannons. Some cannons and other things mm -hmm. that were... Probably rocks in some instances. They don't record that, but I, I can't imagine, know. you know, there weren't grenades, so maybe you throw a rock at somebody. I can't deny that that could have happened. I would have. Anyway. I like to throw rocks. Let's just... I don't live in a glass house. <laughs> Good. Thank goodness you don't. <laughs> Got that in. Yeah. I need to finish this. <laughs> June 19th, 1865. Finally, those Union soldiers made it to Galveston. It was sort of like the last outpost of the Confederacy. Yes. Okay. And they make it down there. They read the Emancipation Proclamation and sort of the last, one of the last groups of, uh, or, you know, parts of the nation where, um, people were still enslaved. Mm -hmm. They are freed. And so, because of that... I don't even know that they were enslaved down there. Just, we know that they were still fighting. What, what do you mean? I, I don't know that there were slaves in that region. Oh, yeah, there were. Are you sure? I'm a thousand percent positive about 1, that. One thousand percent. Not just a hundred. Do you have receipts? I have receipts, and it's called Texas history. Okay, that's fair enough. I'm just pushing to make sure. Yeah. Because... One of the things that I've recently been confronted with is 
the reality to look around. It's easy to talk about slavery and imagine that it was the entirety of this continent that yeah. was enslaving people. But the only reason to enslave was when you had a farming yeah. endeavor, as we know, cotton was a, a major portion of that from the South. I'm unawares of what activities would have gone on in the Gulf region. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and that's rice. And that's okay. still something that okay. goes on down there. And also sugarcane. Okay. I didn't realize sugarcane made it onto our continent. Yeah. You know what? I say that, but now I'm an idiot because I remember <laughs> in college, a couple of the guys that I played ball with were from Rain, Louisiana, and they talked about in the yes. summers that they would go work in the sugarcane fields. Yes. So that makes sense. That yes. makes sense. Um, Thank you for your patience. You're welcome. I don't know a lot of things. I know a little Oklahoma history. I know a little Texas history. And so also Juneteenth is also referred to as Liberation Day, Jubilee Day, Emancipation Day. Um, and it has been the source of celebrations in the black community in the United States for many years. And like I said, has has recently come back into the conversation that it might become a national holiday. So happy I think it should be. Juneteenth. I think so too. That's a, totally that's agree. a big day. Yeah. And is. not just for a specific group or any of that. That's a big day for the nation. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. So it's a big day for the world. It really is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Is that, that's Juneteenth. You, you got, okay. That's yours. Um, I've got two, one that's going to be short ish and the other, that you might want to kill yourself because I got all spun up about it. You got a lot. I know this next section. We may not even have time to talk about the American mind and maybe how it's not. been coddled today. Yeah, maybe not. We'll see. Um, 1991. Okay. On, on June 19th of 1991 was the day that Pablo Escobar, the Colombian cocaine lord, yeah. Surrenders to the police. 1991. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where were you in 1991? What's, what's 1991. I was a freshman. I was getting ready to be a freshman in the summer of, of 91. So, in fact, I'm probably just a few weeks away from reporting to two-a-days, which I don't think any technically any longer exist in football. Yeah. Um, not driving yet, but close and wishing I was. Okay, interesting. Oh, that's right, because you got your license early. Wait, well, was I got your freshman year? No, no. I saw I wasn't driving yet. I was okay. I was your way. I got it okay. in August of my sophomore year. So I was one of the few kids reporting to school as a sophomore to drive, but that was a year later. Later than this instance. Okay. June of nineteen ninety one, it was before my eighth grade year, so I can promise you I was at peak awkward yeah that is right in the very heart of the most awkward years for i would not have dated you then well thanks i was uh i was interested in older women at that point well it wasn't until i was more mature that i got interested in the younger ladies <laughs> i would have probably been either preparing for or coming home from falls creek which is again the southern baptist youth camp i feel like we've referenced on this show. yes that's probably worthy of a whole episode at some point We'll put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Colombian drug, drug lord Pablo Escobar surrenders to police. I feel like I've watched at least one Netflix, not documentary, yeah. but like I dramatic series about are, Escobar. Yeah, there's at least three to my knowledge okay. because I've watched them all. Yeah. And they're really good on Netflix. Some of them painting a more romanticized picture. Some of them more factually based. So Narcos is a very popular one, right? Narcos is very good. And that's about 
Pablo Escobar. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, Do you remember? I don't remember the titles of the others. Okay. If you searched Pablo, you'd probably get all the results you ever wanted and a few more. And more. But you should, if you haven't seen them, you should watch them. There's, there's honestly some really good entertainment there. Fascinating storyline. Good what, tension. What is it about... I mean, there's there throughout history and, and certainly in contemporary history, there have been more than more drug lords and, and cartel kings than Pablo Escobar. What is it about his story that sort of fascinate, fascinates the imagination to where we have more yeah. than one series about him? So while there certainly would have were not would have been, but actually were some heinous things that he did, Pablo was unique in that he wasn't just in it for him. And he spread untold millions of dollars around an absolutely impoverished country. And even though the employment that he offered was illegal, it was a wage that made a difference in people's lives that was not available through any legitimate means. Mm -hmm. The things that were available through legitimate means were to remain impoverished and to slip further into squalor. Okay. And so he offered hope. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting take on that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's definitely, and I hate to say this because I feel like it cheapens how he behaved, but we would reference this as a Robin Hood type okay. figure. Mm -hmm. He's doing something illegal. Also, though, I mean, from from shift yourself out of the American mindset, he wasn't filling the streets of Mexico with cocaine. Yeah, he was shipping it somewhere else to the U.S. To the U.S. <laughs> so it was it was almost like a not only is he helping us he's not actually harming us and okay. yeah so people people loved him people defended him helped hide him that's why it's part of the reason why he is so infamous because it took so long to catch him because people were like no he's he's changed my family tree i will not i will not rat him out okay all right again not to say that he didn't do some terrible things as well because he did yeah but yeah that's that's kind of the thing around that and that's a Perfect segue into, was it James Allen Stanford? Is that what I said the full name I was? I believe that's right. All I can remember is Stanford was the last guy's name. Okay. So this is a fascinating thing to me. When you go and begin to look through sites that capture by date what has happened in history, mm -hmm. you would honestly be a little bit appalled at the number of times where what they've mentioned actually didn't happen on the day they've suggested. That's uh, very alarming. It is. I like it. But, you know, they're not held up to any scrutiny. They're just a funsies website, right? Right. And it's only in the events where either I knew ahead of time, now that doesn't sound right for the date, or when something's intrigued me so much that I go, I go to dig further, and I'm like, wait a minute, that didn't happen on this day. Mm -hmm. So one of the sites, or a couple of the sites I ran across accredited to this day something in relation to Sir James Allen Stanford. Right. He is a sir. Mm-hmm. And I and it was an intriguing story because it has to do with financial fraud, mm. and that piques my interest because I'm an aspiring financial fraudster. <laughs> it's right in the wheelhouse. Always, always looking for a way to illegally get the leg up myself. Um, so I go look into this. It wasn't tied to this day, but it didn't stop. I almost drowned in the internet. I dove so deeply. Whoa! Yeah, in a very 
short amount of time. I, okay. I had to shut things off to it come was like, downstairs. It was like turbo speed dive. Yes. Like turbo deep dive. All turbo the, speed deep dive. All the speedy turbo divey deepies. <laughs> there was, there's probably some an acronym we could come up with that sounds dirty, but I can't think of it. So I go on this internet deep dive, and I'm going to, for the sake of expediency and words and stuff, let's just call him Stanford. Everybody knows it's Sir Allen, James, James Allen, whatever, blah, 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 but it's Stanford. So Stanford, this is an interesting cat. He is born in Mahaya, Texas. I know Mahaya. Mahaya. It's spelled M-E-X-I-A. For probably half the time, at least, that we lived in Texas, I thought it was Mexia. Right. But, but it's Mahaya. And you only, it's kind of like any other conversation we've had about the the little places inside oh, yes. of states that have the pronunciation you'd only know if you were there. You only know if you're from around there, for sure. Um, tiny, 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 tiny. This is where he's born. There's a series of events uh, where he and his dad, I guess his dad had some money, I don't know from what, together right uh, in the 80s as we had the collapse of the oil industry for a time, they had gone in and made some very wise uh, purchases, mineral rights and such uh, in the Houston area while things were at rock bottom prices oh, sure. and then yeah. as they began to unwind those positions, they created familial wealth I bet. of significance. Talk about the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And good, good decisions, good decisions, good logic. It's still a gamble. Yeah. Uh, but that's honestly, if you're not gambling, you're even if it's a measured gamble, you're probably never going to just magically find yourself wealthy. Sure. Um, look through the, the lengthy list of, of current day, what we would say, oh, self-made whoever, whether it's Zuckerberg or Bezos or whoever, these people took gambles. And in the case of Bezos, many gambles before he found the one that paid off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they did. And, and it was successful. They find themselves with a bunch of money. I didn't see a lot of history in between this and what ultimately he ends up somewhere in the Caribbean with a bank that he either started or purchased and eventually, so understand that banking regulations are unique to where they're located, mm -hmm. where they're domiciled. That dictates the law under which they're required to operate. And I would assume that U.S. and Europe, probably France, maybe Germany in this mix, these would be the people that all have the kind of regulatory body and oversight and all of that that we're familiar with. But now when you're talking about islands in the Caribbean, I mean, populations are tiny, educations are different, funds to employ a staff of humans are different. So one, the restrictions are certainly leaner. Yeah. And two, the enforcement's smaller. And that's a very understated way of saying that. <laughs> Is there any wonder why the Caribbean is a place where so many people of wealth choose Absolutely, to put yes. their money because there's freedom there? Listen. And this, this is a whole other conversation, freedom versus regulation. 
And this goes back to my very first reading of John Grisham's The Firm. Yeah. When I was like, that was the first time. And I was in high school. And he talks about the Cayman Islands. And that's a, that plays a big role. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time as a high school student, I was like, oh, wow, this is a whole thing. So that's sort of John Grisham, The Firm. Yeah. It informed my understanding of banking in the Caribbean for the rest of my life. Yeah. So he's got a bank there, and I feel like somehow he's loosely under regulatory guidance of Britain. Okay. And I may be misquoting that. Who it's under the guidance of is not that important. What's important is that he comes under scrutiny, and rather than all of a sudden find himself in a quagmire of inability to get things done, Mm -hmm. he just looks around to one of the neighboring islands and says, well... If, if things are going to be problematic here that distract me from conducting business, all of that, I, I can move my business. It's not a big deal. And he did. He moved it to Antigua. And somewhere along the way, he begins to, as he's pulling in U.S. funds from investors here, he... <clears throat> gains some kind of affiliation with TD Bank in Canada, which I believe is Toronto something, Toronto Deposit or something like that. It's not TD Ameritrade investment stuff. Right. It's it's an actual bank there. And he was ultimately yeah. utilizing them so that people would funnel their dollars that they wanted to invest with him through that place that would then get them to Antigua. Okay. And even if that sounds squirrely, it's actually not. There's there's a lot of things within the weirdity of international moving of money. Right. Where you take a few steps to get where you want to go, either because there isn't a direct path or because you want to pursue a path that has... Because, again, everybody's under their own regulatory system. Yes. You want to pursue a path where somebody isn't going to take advantage of you along the way, including, oh, crap, my money has been stuck in Hong Kong yes. for six months or something because of their weirdities and their criminals within the legalities of This is fascinating to me. I know not everybody really gets all riled up about financial crime and international banking and those types of things, but it's something that until you had a client or two that had, you know, sort of like... um, uh, Issues. Issues Mm -hmm. with some of these things, with uh, money being literally stuck overseas. And it's like Mm -hmm. so fascinating because... Money really kind of just exists digitally now, right? Right. And it's so like, how can your money be over there? And it, 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 how? Yeah. You can't get to it because it's in a different country and it can't be released. And right, because things. they are taking advantage of having your money. It, well, yes. Just like, exactly. just like when you deposit your money at the bank, they're doing something with it that makes them money. Yes. And if you were to... If you go into, you don't notice then is this in a checking account or a savings account. If you go to a money market account, which has yeah. some different regulations as to how your interest generates, and then you move to a blah 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 account or a time re- some time restricted type of vehicle in hopes of a greater return. Right. Well, the bank is doing something with the money, and we'll come into that in a little bit. I mean, banks are not nonprofits. No, right? Banks are there to make money off of always have, money. Yeah. always will. Yes. So, yes, he moves to Antigua. He's got this relationship with the Canadian bank. At some point in time, and I wished I'd had like another three days to really dig into this and it had better details, but this is probably plenty for most people. At some point in time, he comes under suspicion and scrutiny 
of laundering money for cartels. Okay, where did he start? So he grew up in Mahia. Interestingly, he graduates from a high school ultimately in Fort Worth and then gets his college degree from good old Southern Baptist University, Baylor, yes. Baylor University. Not right. that everybody goes there is in fact Southern Baptist or that, you know, Southern Baptists are all guilty or all innocent or, innocent or any of that. Just, it was fascinating to me because we have personal familiarity with all these things. Um, but then he ends up in Houston and then Galveston, which ties back which into ties Juneteenth. <laughs> right back into Juneteenth. It ties right back into this whole exposure to the cartels. Even the Colombian cartels got to the point where they pushed everything through Mexico because the Caribbean got shut down. They pushed all of their drugs through Mexico mm -hmm. into the U.S. So this is a a familiar area for sure, him. Sure. Yes. And when you're talking about money, there's nobody that has more. Than, than the cartels. Drug cartels, yes. Bill Gates, eat your heart out. You got nothing on the cartels. <laughs> of course, you have the freedom of <laughs> a lot of other things that they don't. But yeah. So here he is in Antigua. He's suspected of money laundering for the cartels. And there's even, I can't recall if it was like recorded or just reported upon, but there are literally conversations that... that our governing bodies are aware of where he was communicating the details to someone of how he would launder their money. They're unable to prove it, though. Yes. Are you going to go get a cartel to testify for you? They're, they will American literally court. know. Yes. That's going to be a big no. It's low on their list yes. of things. It's going to be a hard pass yeah. for the cartel. Busy, got a crop coming in, <laughs> and I need to fly my jet around a little bit. You got to keep the exhaust system clean of moisture. So I got that on the schedule. We're unable, we being American investigative and prosecutorial systems. Well played, well done on that. Um, unable to, to put anything together that sticks. And so, of course, they're going to feel slighted and angry and embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, the worst enemy in the world to have is one that you have embarrassed. That's right. They now have a vendetta to save their pride. Yes. Beyond any other conviction whether, they might have. Whether it's an individual or an entire government of yes. a nation. Yes. yes. That holds true. In the meantime, he has been building up Antigua. He's, I don't know if he actually put in the airport or got property around it or what, but he's built like literally just holy shit structures. Mm-hmm all over the place of amazing magnitude, um, including Apollo grounds directly across from a, a, one of these other facilities. He's hosting international polo events with the biggest payouts imaginable. And he's, he's entertaining the wealth of the world. He's doing business with people in over 140 countries. Yes. And along with along with everything else, he's got a very Pablo Escobar esque presence mm -hmm. in Antigua because he through because he's not just these things. He owns a couple of newspapers and multiple other businesses. He is bringing employment and is is severely recognized as someone who is employing people in an impoverished part of the world at a better equal to or better than u.s wage he's bringing wealth to these people like they could not imagine he is changing lives right there. Mm -hmm. 
to the point even that many of them are buying expensive properties of their own and then they are hiring help and and things. So it's truly, there is a grand spreading of this wealth. It's not like he's just sitting on a pile of Scrooge McDuck money and right. giving the middle finger to everybody. Right. He's, he really is caring about people in this instance. Um, he does become knighted, although it's accused he paid for it, and that's why he is sir. Um, who knows why? Who cares if he paid somebody and it benefited people? Good for him. Good on him. All of this is going on, and there are like innumerable eyewitness reports from the people of Antigua of an untold number of U.S. congressmen who he has flown in on his personal jet to come down and enjoy the uh, whatever. Huh. He is, not only is he doing global business, he is deeply globally connected at the upper echelon of everything. In the way money can connect you In the way money does. So much, yes. So, as charges come around, and I can, I can only imagine that originally things were fought against. This is, there will, there will be a lot of... Uh, supposition in this, just me guessing towards the storyline that makes sense, because this is just entertainment. This isn't the History Channel, right? Yeah. Which is, is also it? entertainment. <laughs> be careful. Um, my supposition has to be that originally, with charges of things that they couldn't make stick, all of that, there were also many people in high up places here in the U.S. that were like, slow down. Yes. Um, I'm implicated in this. Slow down. Yes. And it took some time for them to begin to escape mm -hmm. so that they couldn't be brought down with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But from the law enforcement perspective at the federal level, they were pretty committed to doing it. So it was just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as a bank works, coming back to this concept that I deferred from earlier, when you deposit your money, at a bank, checking account, savings account, certificate of deposit, whatever. What do you imagine? What have you imagined happens to your money, whether it's digital or physical? I genuinely was well, and I knew well into adulthood before I understood that when you take your money to the bank, even if you have a paper check or whatever it is, that it's not stored. A Scrooge McDuck style yeah. mixing yeah. with gold coins and dollar bills. I really thought that they were like, okay, thank you for your money. And even if you don't have the dollar bills in the sense that equal that amount of money, that somehow it turned into cash money mm -hmm. on premises inside that bank. Yeah. And then that's what, you know, makes sense of a lot of movies and things that we've seen. <laughs> it's just that, well, they got a big old pile of money in the back. Uh-huh. So by, by federal law at this point, they do have some cash on hand. They do have some representation of digital dollars on hand. But right. for the bank, the bank is a money-making institution. Again, not for profit. Right. It's not what a bank is. Right. A bank is for profit. So they have to be doing something with your money right. that makes them enough money to be profitable, to pay everybody and have profit, all that. And so certainly some of your money they loan out to other people on different terms. But the bulk of your money, and that, that's kind of an antiquated idea even still, the bulk of your money is in fact digitally invested in a lot of other investments. Mm -hmm. And you go back to uh, 
you go back to just before the Great Depression, regulations were slim, right? And, and anybody with a little bit of knowledge of that history may recall the idea of a bank run. Yes. Where people were like, hey, shit's getting real. I want my money. I want my physical money in my hands. And they're standing in lines in the bank is absolutely laying an egg that is not made of gold because they're like, we, we don't have the money here the thing to is, do that. We don't have your money. Yeah. Yes. It's not here. You thought it was. It's not. Surprise. Happy, happy depression. <laughs> the Scrooge McDuck safe is empty. Yeah. We've given out all yeah. the gold coins that were We in did there. all the swimming we could do. <laughs> they're gone. And so it was at that point that the U.S. government stepped in and said, hey, public, be at peace for a minute. We're going to guarantee these funds. But that didn't come without regulation. Mm -hmm. And so to guarantee the money for the bank so that the bank could remain solvent and in business and the American public wasn't left screwed over completely. Sure, sure, sure. This arrangement is struck and then banks begin into the area of regulatory oversight where there is an amount of actual cash they're required to keep on hand based on, you know, metrics and and equations over their depositors, as well as, you know, if what you invest in now with those monies that you're investing has to fall under certain guidelines. Yeah. As time has gone on, that's become more and more intricate and all of that. So that, you know, just like if you go in to apply for a loan, for a home, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to do a credit check and they're going to look at you to to qualify you, categorize you as a high, middle, or low quality loan. Yes. And they're restricted on how much low or mid sure. quality, high quality that they can give out. That all comes into play for their quote unquote solvency, which is a whole nother mini episodes. Or maybe a podcast limited it's Probably series. its own podcast <laughs> that gets burned to the ground. Um <laughs> So all of these things, yeah. Now, let's step aside for a minute and let's go to Bernie Madoff. Okay. Everybody probably at least knows the name and probably recognizes the name Ponzi scheme. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is what he was convicted on. Do you have any real idea as to what that is? I mean, I do because Because I just told you earlier. Well, also, we've talked about it a little before. And I I was telling you, I, I can't remember if it was our conversation or if maybe I heard it on a podcast talking about Bernie Madoff's specific story, mm-hmm. I was introduced to the whole idea of what a Ponzi scheme is. Yeah. Where the... Oh, you'd better explain. It, it's it's more of a concept at this point than it is a real thing. Yes. Originally, it's named after a guy whose last name was Ponzi. Yes. The concept of it is that you're paying back your earliest investors with dollars from your most recent investors. You explain that so much more precisely and succinctly. I would have this taken is, me like 15 world. minutes to it's explain my world. what a, a Ponzi scheme is. You can tell people about lipstick and I'm like, <laughs> I'm making dumb hands. I don't know what's what. Yeah. But this is my world. Okay. Um, so in its simplest form of that explanation, it sounds like just, you know, some a-hole went and started taking people's money and paying himself, siphoning off money for himself, and then just paying back, you know, little returns on investment from someone else's money. That's that's not really what's going on. In many ways, this is much, and this may be just applying a comparison that's also equally obtuse yeah. to most people, but we've all heard of racketeering charges. 
I would assume. Racketeering charges, this is a concept. It's a construct to wrap around something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a way in which somebody conducted their illegal business that helped bring a, a bigger, more encompassing penalty into place. It's kind of the same concept for a Ponzi scheme. Again, nobody's going out, starting out with no plan. Madoff didn't start out with no plan. Madoff actually started out with a real investment program and he was making the returns that he'd suggested. He reached a point at some time in his history where the returns on the investment were not what he'd been advertising. And he had some people that were expecting returns. And so in effect, he borrowed money fully intending, I believe, to pay back. He borrowed money from these new investors to kind of smooth it over in the interim. And then he reached a point where markets had turned bad enough or his program had performed poorly enough that the number of returns expected as well as redemptions, which is just saying, hey, I'd like my initial investment back. These exceeded the amount of money that he was bringing in. Right, And that was when he got caught up on this. Now for a bank, This is exactly what a bank does as well under regulation. The difference is that when a bank doesn't have money to satisfy all these things, especially when you're talking about the digital format of this, then they can borrow from other banks or they can borrow from the Fed to satisfy and keep the beast alive because there is every investment, no matter what it is, has a time frame on it that it requires to reach whatever is expected in return. Okay. So for your checking account, which is a immediate term, right? If yeah. you deposit your check today, you may spend money today. Yes. Well, across the cumulative impact of all people depositing checks and things, they're going to invest in 5, 10, 20, 30, maybe even as long as 90-day investments from there. And anytime the demand for withdrawal is greater than what they have on hand, in heavy air quotes, Mm -hmm. then they're going to borrow from another bank or from the government to keep the semblance of solvency in place. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not affiliated with a bank, your name's Bernie Madoff, and mm-hmm. you're running a fund. Yeah, he's doing the same thing. Right, he's borrowing from somebody. It's just a different construct, uh-huh. and, and he did not start out. I don't believe he ever had nefarious intent. His intent was to continue to provide the returns that these people were used to, that he advertised, that made him popular for investors, and all of that to the tune that he had. What was it, twenty billion or seventeen billion or something in that range under management, mm-hmm. which is wow, big. Mm-hmm. And it was just he reached a point where he had no bank to borrow from, he had no government to borrow from, and new investment dollars weren't big enough to cover the expected withdrawals. Right, yeah. And so it was then he was caught, and not only were his pants down, they were in another room somewhere else. He had no idea where his pants were. It was a bad deal. Don't lose your pants. He lost them. That's why he's in jail. Yes, and that is what they ultimately... This is what the accusation against Sir Stanford was. Sir Sir Stanford was ultimately convicted for a Ponzi scheme. Okay. Now, this is where things get really fascinating. When you're a complete nerd like me, you actually dig up and read through court documents. Oh my gosh. And I did. did. It was delightful. You are such a nerd. (laughs) 
because uh, twofold, twofold. One, I wanted to see, because it's one thing to just throw this term Ponzi scheme, Ponzi scheme. And this is what's in all of the media outlets, just okay. Ponzi scheme. What, what exactly mm-hmm. are they talking about? What exactly did he do? Because the same was true for when Madoff was indicted, convicted, all of that. Everybody just said Ponzi scheme. You had to dig around to find everything that I just told you. Right. That was actually what happened. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm like, what happened? How did this come about? Because you don't last. They're they're stating that this is a 20-year Ponzi scheme. Right. Oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. You Nobody can hide things for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hid well enough because nobody was willing to testify the money laundering. That's its own thing. Yeah. But you don't. Now, the other part, that that stinks to me. So I dig further. I'm reading court documents, and the court documents are what's really painting the picture. As you go in and you look at the, um, and I don't know legal terms wonderfully well, the, the his counsel would have submitted basically a thing to the judge to say, we, we complain about this, we complain about that, this mm-hmm. is not right, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, certainly, both in this case as well as others that we're, we might be familiar with, Some of this can be stalling tactics. Some of this can be dumb. But there were a lot of his that, because I'm familiar with the language of this industry. Yeah. I'm like, no, that that was actually a very valid statement. And it really started to paint this picture of a collaboration, nefarious collaboration Mm. between investigators, prosecutors and judges where things were denied that should actually not have been denied. You're telling me the legal system can the get a little squirrely? The legal system felt a little bit like a cartel. <laughs> yeah. So, and just to give one of the examples, what all of the papers would have reported, what a lot of the legal documentation stated is that he was selling CDs, which stands uh, for Certificate of Deposit sure, sure, sure. Yep. from a bank, most mm-hmm. often in the U.S., FDIC insured, all of these things. And there is some very specific regulation about this. Again, it's an instance where you are loaning your money to the bank for an interest rate. They are going to invest it. And by federal law, because of FDIC insurance, all of that, they're restricted as to how they can invest it to some degree, Mm -hmm. but they do need to make a percentage of return on that borrowed money to make it worthwhile for them to pay you what you've paid, what, what you're getting paid. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, one of his objective objection submissions was um, these are not CDs. They are CDOs, which is a different thing. Yes, A CDO is a collateralized debt obligation, which means that when you are borrowing money from someone, that you are backing that debt with an asset of some type. Uh-huh. You're collateralizing it. So uh-huh. if you wanted to borrow, you as an individual, borrow money to buy a car, yeah. maybe you collateralize that with your home or sure. with something else that proves to the bank, if I'm unable to make my yeah. payments on this thing, you have the opportunity to get your money back through one of these other assets. Right, right, right. Okay. So this is this is ultimately what he's pushing towards to say, no, that, that this is what I'm doing, not what you're charging me with, not what you're calling it this. And they just brush it aside, mm-hmm. which 
when you're within the legal legal language of a highly regulated industry, this is a huge red flag. It's like, no, you can't. You can't ignore that. Just because two out of three letters are the same, it doesn't mean the same thing. Right. Right? Yes. So it feels very, very manipulated. And it's still dragging out in court, even still with appeals and things going on. He was ultimately convicted of some things and then like ridiculous like our government often does in a high profile case he was sentenced to like 120 years okay or something and he's already in his 60s he has uh i think he has both cirrhosis and hepatitis it's, he didn't even want to live that long to begin with much less biologically from 60 to 180 years old yeah and it's just like what is why are they trying so hard to bury him that deep Interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. They're they're desperately trying to break all ties and associations. It's just a fascinating story. And is he a good guy? No. I mean, just like Escobar wasn't a good guy. He's he's done some really squirrely things. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, also keep in mind you're talking about a, a major corporation that's doing business in over 140 countries. His employment here in the US alone was through the roof yeah. on things. Do you think he was the one that was out making investment decisions? I doubt no. it. He has a he has a chief investment officer with an entire staff of people under him. Sure. This guy probably wasn't even aware of what's going on. In the he meantime, he's on the beach tracking yeah. some. He's on the beach. Some he's watching polo. Yeah. He's both married and has a fiance at the same time. Wow. Okay. He's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on. You go, sir Stanford. Indeed. Stanford yourself, right there. Do it. Um, so yeah, it's like he didn't. He wouldn't have known exactly what was going on, and all of this plays into the idea that whatever was backing, whatever investments were made by this firm, which weren't a CD, yeah. they were a CDO, and a CDO under the definition of a foreign government, not a U.S. Right. government. Yes. How the U.S. is even prosecuting him, I'm not entirely I sure. I know, right? He's unaware of investments and risk profiles and, and all of that for things going on. But under a CDO, your your limitations are much broader. So very legitimately backing these things could have been and probably were the real estate that he had purchased, was building on, was putting up structures on and hospitals and infrastructure and real tangible things. It wasn't like he was just pocketing $7 billion and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then all of this, again, it, it begins to come into suspicion and into light on the heels of some economic things that occurred where investor dollars began to come in slower than redemptions required. And so this is where the whole thing begins to tumble. Okay. Fascinating. Yes. Fascinating. Interesting. I would do it better, and maybe I'll try one day. No, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. I feel like you are taking notes a little bit on this. No, only on what not to do. Yeah. You never know what you're going to uncover when you start looking at history and also how history is being reported wrong. That's the most concerning. Well, I mean... Just just let an INTJ Enneagram 5 well, get it wrong history. Think about this. You'll be sorry. <laughs> You'll regret that. How, how is history written? Why is history written? We're going we're gonna to write history about the things that are most popular to the culture. Yes. And we're going to write it from the perspective of the victor. Yes. 
Yes. So I say that I'm going to deeply question all history, but I'm not completely untrusting of all history either. I just say there are cases where it warrants finding one or more grains of salt. Yeah. Especially on. the more modern we get, the more the the more current we get with things. Because I truly, I believe, and I don't believe this in a defeatist, sad way, uh, but I do believe that as each day passes, corruption grows. I think that's fair. I sure do. Okay. Whew. That was a lot. I appreciate everybody that hasn't hung up their phone. Is that still a thing? Can you hang up your phone you that you were listening phone. on? You can. Do you slam it down on the cradle? That's what you have to do. Okay. You got to find it. Maybe we should make a a cradle merch for the store so you can slam your listening device down on it when you hate the episode. (laughs) Will he ever shut up? Well, hey, I learned a lot about financial financial banking international intrigue. I feel like Austin Powers might come on the scene here in a few minutes. It's possible. I've got a lot of little nuggets of information in my brain that only matter on occasion and rarely then. Yep. But boy, when I get a chance to uncork, I just have to vomit all the words. That was a lot of words. You know what? That's okay because this chapter of the book of The Coddling of the American Mind no offense to the authors. We both agreed that it was a little, a little boring. It was a little boring. And it was boring from our perspective, right? Yeah. It was because, I mean, in this chapter, they really go into the bureaucracy of safetyism. So they really camp out in talking about... That is the title of the chapter, after all. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That yeah. is this what they cover in the, the material in this chapter. They really dig into what's going on, kind of get in the weeds a little bit of higher education administration, Mm -hmm. which I did not know this until we had our discussion this week about this book, but we have a number of superstars who are in higher education administration. So for them, this chapter, they're probably probably will love my life. They probably will love it. I will, I will offer one thing, one perspective that I thought was really valuable from this is they looked at the amount of revenue brought in by higher education in the U S and that that would rank in terms of national GDP around in the in the low twenties in the world, so it's a massive amount of dollars. So it has become very, very corporate. Yes. Um, which anybody in higher ed that's not part of the corporate structure would would feel as pain to say, "What the hell? I thought we were here to teach. What's yes. going on?" And anybody within the bureaucratic side would be like, "Well, it's business as usual." Right. And they point out one example of LSU who just spent was it over twenty million. I can't even remember how many tens of millions of dollars of student fees to put in effectively a lazy river for the kids to float in. I mean, if you're a student, that sounds awesome. Except that, yeah, it's it's an institution for education. It's not a four-year resort or five- or six-year resort. Our student fees paid for, like, a pizza night once a semester in the student union. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, maybe. If you didn't mind... The pizza that got thrown in the dumpster from Domino's or wherever. <laughs> Little Caesars. Okay. So basically they go into talking in this chapter about how um, higher ed administration um, has responded to and sometimes mm-hmm. over-responded, over-reacted, mm-hmm. over-responded to uh, these topics related to students and the culture of safetyism. What's the magic of the chapter? There is one magic moment that we both agreed on. Yes. The authors 
use a phrase that I think is very commonplace for yeah. every day. They talk about CYA policies. Of course, CYA means cover your ass. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. Except when Jonathan Haidt, who does narrate this book on audio. Yes, and you need the audio. Yes. For this chapter alone, it's worth the money. For some reason, he is absolutely scandalized to have to say yes. the word ass. And yes. so it comes or, up. But he feels so obligated to tell everybody what CO, CYA means. Yes, exactly. It's so, it comes, I'm going to let you do your oh. Haidt interpretation of well, it. Well, he starts out very normal, cover your. Yeah. And then when he slips into saying ass. It's a very, he's like, cover your ass. He says it all creepy. Like you can imagine weird hand motions and somebody getting molested. It's like, whoa. He says it so creepily. Oh, it's bad. And, <laughs> I stop laughing about it. Yeah. It's just that one word. And he's like, I don't know. He makes it so sexual and weird. It's, in the oh, it's bad. Chapter. And it's only amplified even more if you've ever seen him physically on a YouTube or something. Yeah. To be able to imagine, then you're making the full connection. You see the human, you imagine him saying it, and it's just like, oh, oh my skin's crawling. Don't ever say that again, Jonathan. Stop it. You are in, you're in ass timeout. You can't say it anymore. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Last time out, yes. <laughs> My face hurts so smiley. I can't talk anymore about this chapter. That that was one notable thing for both of us. I, I want to bring one other issue that's discussed. And actually, I was a little bit surprised as I looked through that uh. this isn't in the, the key points at the end of the chapter. Okay. Um, and this is from the concept, which I think is a brutally important concept, especially today mm -hmm. in the environment that we're in. And this is the difference between... Equal opportunity and equal outcome. Okay. And these are huge differences, but that are so easily overlooked. Yeah. And he references Title IX, uh -huh. which amongst other things was legislation that was that was put forth and especially recognized in the university systems towards equal treatment, be it both, both uh, uh, racial and gender. Yes. Specified. And this is a... a very strong memory for me <clears throat> because I can remember in the, it would have been mid to late nineties. I had just started coaching myself and I was at a small university here in Oklahoma. And it wasn't that title IX was new at that point. It was that it had been brought back into the public eye. Okay. And the, the way that legislators spoke forward was to offer we're re-examining this and we we want everybody to look at it again. And so and, and it was this debate-ish between equal opportunity versus equal outcome. And as they offered that, because people who are trying to be compliant with the law are listening. Yes. They're riveted. They're yeah. determined to follow rules and do things the right way. And the way it was handed down was it was a two-part thing. You can either just shoot for equal outcomes. Or if you'd like to try to instead shoot for equal opportunity, then we're not going to give you any guidance as to how that looks or what that means. The burden is upon you and you're probably going to be investigated. You're oh. going to need to present your case. Okay. And so what, I mean, universities aren't in the business of living in a courtroom no. or living under 
audit or whatever else, right? No. We, you know, when you file your taxes every year, you do so in a way because you don't want to deal with being yes, audited. Exactly. Of and, course. And have to go through that. Same mindset. Mm -hmm. It's still just individuals that are running these places. Right. And so for the bulk and, and most part, everybody's like, okay, well, we're going to go with the one that puts us under the least amount of scrutiny, regardless of what our opinions or thoughts are. And so I'm at a, I'm at a small, uh, I think at the time, Division II university here in Oklahoma. And they looked around and here's the problem as it applies to sports, mm -hmm. is if you're talking about equal outcomes, well, your football roster is minimally going to have, depending on universities you're looking at, let's just say for not getting too far into the weeds, football brings in the highest number of athletes per sport. Mm -hmm. and just in terms of the size Sure of the numbers, team. right? Size of the team, mm -hmm. all that. There is no comparable female sport. Right. There's no, there's just simply, you could use 10 female sports in conjunction to come up with the same numbers. Mm-hmm. Other sports are, that's the only one that's weird because soccer is soccer, regardless, rowing, tennis, gymnastics, basketball, basketball you pick it, they're all identical. There is a counterpart. Yeah. It's the same sport across. There is no same sport for football. Mm -hmm. And so our university went to toe the line of equal outcomes and they looked around and said, oh, as did many other universities, I guess we will, we will add female sports, maybe get rid of some of the other men's sports, but definitively we're going to add female sports. And so one of the sports that our school decided to add was women's soccer. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're putting it together on the fly because yeah. it's a reaction. It wasn't a plan. It was a reaction. Right. Hire a coach. They're laid into recruiting, trying to recruit. Well, they can't even... They can't even find enough girls that want to play soccer mm -hmm. to actually field a full team. Mm -hmm. And and we're all watching this go on in slow motion because it's current time, right? right. It's yeah. a day-to-day, minute-to-minute, what's going on. And we were, uh, myself and our defensive coordinator, we knew the the women's soccer coach very well. And we visited with her you know, every time we ran across our campus. You know, hey, how's, how's it going? What's going on? And you know, we were we were unified in the difficulties of coaching right. as we visited with her. And she's like panicking, like, I can't find enough girls to play. And I recall vividly being up in the cafeteria on campus and watching her walk from table to table in the cafeteria, talking to girls, everyone that she came across to say, if you'll come try out for the soccer team, there's actually no tryout. You'll be on the team, and I have a college scholarship for you. Will you come play soccer? Oh, dang. That was how, yeah. how desperate it was to try to get to equal outcomes. So equal outcomes in this case you're saying is that they needed to show, have receipts for, the equal number yes. of scholarship. Equal, scholarship. Yes. So if, and this would have been reflective to the constitution of the student body. So for easy um, numbers, okay. let's say it's 50, 50 sure. women and men, girls yeah. and boys, however, young men, young women, whatever. Um, and so then if you had a hundred, the equivalency of a hundred men's sports scholarships being utilized that you also had to produce a hundred 
women's to be equal outcomes in that instance. Okay. If it was 60-40 with women in the majority, then you you got to add a lot of sports okay. to get equal to this outcome number. Okay. And there obviously was problematic. She was having she was having a hard time filling and it still wouldn't that alone wouldn't have brought us up to equal outcomes. It was just first efforts to get the regulators off okay. the schools back move ahead a few years we're at TCU, which is a now it's a a major upper tier university in the nation in the Big Twelve Conference. Um, they also, even a few years later, were in the same throes of trying to satisfy legality, and they canceled. Uh, in that instance, they canceled the men's soccer program mm. to try to get to equal numbers, which was bizarre. There was a young man on the team. Every young man that had been on that team on the scholarship was suddenly without. Mm. One of those young men was like, I can't afford this school yeah. without the scholarship because TCU is a, very yeah. not cheap, not cheap. Very. He's like, well, I guess I'll try out for football. And he came over and tried out for kicker and got it and ended up being an All-American kicker yeah, for us. Yeah, he did. So He's a good kid. worked out good for him and us. Um. Yeah. But so, yeah, there's there's these bizarre things when you start to throw nonsensical regulatory things on things. And then the author ties this into a very real perspective to look and see at you know high school participation levels and then all the way down to observing uh, participation rates in free play of what is what tends to be participation rates in specific kinds of things and in all of these instances, he's identifying that as a whole, not that any of us like to be grouped up, but as a whole, that that females tend to be less interested than males are in sports mm. participation. Mm -hmm. And yet we've been so hell-bent through legislation to try to force something with a good intention and a bad idea okay. that a really weird scenario is created that damages people. Yeah. You didn't, not only did it not help people, it hurt people. Does Title IX speak to other things besides athletics? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's, it's a, yeah, I'll let everybody read up on it themselves. I know, and I feel, that's I, my firsthand experience with it was as it applied specifically to athletics, athletics within academics. Okay. That's fascinating. I am a woman who, has a college degree and I literally have no idea what title nine yeah. speaks and to. And you today. didn't want to play soccer. No, I did not. You already had your scholarship. I did. It was not athletics. All right. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of ways to create equal opportunity without beginning to screw people over. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm exhausted. It. I talked too have, much. You didn't talk enough. You probably won't be able to speak again until tomorrow. You're going to have to bring your introvert energy back maybe, in. Maybe. That was a lot of words for an introvert. It was. I'm still thinking about the beaches of Antigua. Yeah. Nice yep. rum to sip on. So. I'm not, a, I'm not against trying that out. <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe as we bring... Awesome today to the general public. If we get enough help from the current awesomes to subscribe and give five-star ratings and all of that, and we drive interest in it, it propels uh -huh. 
all things and we get some new ad revenue, maybe we get a trip to Antigua out of that gig somehow. And we will record live from Antigua. Forget record live. We'll have a live show with anybody who wants to come. All the things. We can't pay your way. No, but if you want to hang out with you. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Which is probably far less appealing than you think. (laughs) You ever seen a 45-year-old dad bod? I got it. Okay, well, that seems like a good place to end. Okay, yeah, we took it took it dark again. Finish on a down note. That way anything we say as we start the next episode is an improvement. There we go. It's all about showmanship. That's right. So. Have an awesome non-money laundering today, would you? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Bye. Ponzi schemes are legal. Bank operations are actually pretty similar to a Ponzi scheme. Is banking a pay-to-play Ponzi scheme? Don't be so suspicious.